Hi, this is Jeannie Patel-Thompson. I am here again with Natasha Trenev, the owner and founder of Natron Probiotics. Natasha is an internationally recognized expert on the culturing and production of viable therapeutic grade probiotics. So you can find out a lot more about her at her website, natron.com. So Natasha, we've been talking about kombucha in, in a few of these calls. Mm-hmm. And people are very interested to hear about that because kombucha has become like a soft drink. But people think, oh, I'm having a healthy beverage instead of a Coke or instead of, you know, an orange juice with 36 grams of sugar. And you have, so we've already talked about kombucha in earlier calls. You guys can check those out if you want to um, learn what we've already said. But Natasha, you've been doing some more research on the culturing and fermentation of kombucha. And I thought, let's kick it off by you sharing with us what you've been learning and discovering. Right. Well, first of all, uh, in a nutshell, uh, kombucha was a drink uh, that was used medicinally in northern China and parts of Asia. And it was adopted into that culture. And what I have found is there's no regulation uh, in the United States or Canada about what organisms are found in kombucha uh, that are used to ferment the black tea and the sugar that's put in kombucha. And uh, so there's no standards of checking to whether or not it first uh, gets contaminated, which it can easily do, especially if you're brewing it at home. And second of all, the uh, yeast and the bacteria found in kombucha, uh, if not done correctly, can damage the liver and the kidney and can, you know, uh, eventually cause death. And one of the precautions are that, especially if you're immunocompromised, uh, the American Cancer Society says you should not be drinking it. Uh, Not that we follow everything that orthodox medicine prescribes, but I think what it is that in the health food industry, we have a fiduciary obligation to have some standards. It can't be that we picked up anything that has to do with fermentation and think we can do it safely at home with no background in this fermentation process or knowing what possible contamination can happen. And just to bring the home point, the point home about contamination, uh, in Iran, they found that 20 people died, that they were trying to brew a kombucha tea at home, and it was contaminated with anthrax. And they consumed anthrax while they were trying to brew their uh, kombucha tea. That's why it's so dangerous for people to fool around with fermentation when they have no uh, cultural background and no expertise knowing how to avoid contamination and make a safe product. Wow. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's one out of how many. I mean, I'm, I know there are hundreds, if not thousands of people fermenting their own foods now and culturing their own kefir and kombucha and all the rest yeah. of it. Now, do you feel that... Do you, or do you have any sense whether it's um, more dangerous to culture kombucha and get it contaminated as to do kefir? Uh, I think it's probably more dangerous with kombucha because you're talking about a yeast called uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is used in brewing beer and historically has been safe. But it's in, but kombucha has another bacteria called Zelinius, which apparently is used commercially to produce cellulose. And the combination of these two, you know, the uh, 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 yeast organism produces alcohol and the bacteria converts this alcohol into an uh, acid. And this acid can cause acidosis if it's not controlled, if the fermentation process is not controlled. And in producing this acidosis, it can also produce toxins that can damage the liver and the kidney. I'm giving you a very condensed version, but that's why I'm, I'm you know, appealing to people that they should not be fermenting stuff at home, even kefir, because they don't know enough about contamination not to get the culture contaminated and drink something that they shouldn't be drinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we we don't, you know, especially millennials, uh, I call them the microwave uh, generation. They don't have a background in making any fermented foods at home. Mm -hmm. And that's why I give strict instructions if you want to make yogurt using our yogurt starter, I have very strict instructions how you should proceed uh, to make sure that doesn't get contaminated. One of the things in making probiotics is to make sure that whatever we sell you is microbiologically pure. 
Yes. I don't think people understand how easily cultures can get contaminated. And if you don't know what you're doing, you may be getting something you would never ask for. And the problem is you'll go to a doctor or to a naturopath and you'll present with some kind of a problem and they'll have no idea that that problem could have been started by some fermented product you took because you didn't know how to keep it clean and non uncontaminated. So that's why this, you know, uh, thing that sort of starts in the root of the culture and there's nobody really teaching people how to purify cultures, how to make sure they don't get contaminated is a disaster for, you know, anybody seeking to maintain their health. Right. Right. Very good point. And speaking of the Saccharomyces survey, say, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, because um, here's another supplement that I get asked about a lot. People say, what's your opinion on Saccharomyces boulardii? Um, because a lot of naturopaths are recommending that to treat colitis and sometimes IBS. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what I tell them is, well, when I tried it more than 25 years ago, my body didn't like it very much. And when I talked to the president of the Canadian Naturopathic Association, the BC Naturopathic Association at the time, he said to me, well, it's a yeast. So you don't want to consume any yeast long term. Like maybe it would be okay for short term um, supplementation, but certainly not as an ongoing and not to be considered a probiotic. So you then sent me a very interesting study where they actually went and purchased three Saccharomyces boulardii supplements that are available in retail stores in France and Italy, a very, you know, clinical hard science uh, research paper. And why don't you tell us what they found? Well, you know, uh, they found that people, uh, it was contaminated. And second of all, that, you know, people could get ill, you know, taking this product, especially in the high amounts that it was listed on the label. And uh, one of the reasons they call it Saccharomyces boulardii is because they don't want to re reveal that it's actually uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is a, uh, a yeast used to brew beer and sometimes grow bread. And you use it in very small amounts when you're brewing beer or making bread not in the billions. And one of the things that, you know, these, the Saccharomyces boulardii can do, it can be, you know, um, uh, cause disease systemically, uh, especially if your body is sensitive to it. So I don't know exactly what you were referring to in the study, but I know that the reason they call it boulardii is because they want to make a taxonomic shift without any uh, scientific evidence that it's really not a boulardii, but it's a cerevisiae. That's not important to most people. But the point is that no one should be taking any type of yeast in large quantities. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the reason uh, this product works is, is so, almost like a drug effect. Uh, the yeast organism binds with pathogens and helps to neutralize them. The problem is that once it binds with the pathogen, what is its objective in your GI tract? Uh, historically, for 40 to 50 years, everybody I know in the alternative uh, health industry, including naturopaths, osteopaths, uh, you know, uh, nutritional consultants, um, alternative medical doctors, uh, have said, you know, avoid yeast. Remember this whole thing with candida? Yeah. You weren't even allowed to have a piece of bread because it had some kind of yeast in it. Uh, as I mentioned before in our earlier uh, teleconference, uh, this guy, David Asprey, his diet is really an anti-candida diet, and he's so particular that he doesn't even allow you to drink filtered coffee because of the amount of mold spores that can be found in filtered coffee. So we go from one extreme to the other, and what I think is we don't have enough what I call vertical information to tell people, hey, look, if you're sensitive, you should not be taking a yeast organism in large quantities. And having said that, uh, the only uh, probiotic bacteria that have a long history of evolving with human beings is lactobacillus acidophilus, is lactobacillus bulgaricus because it's part of a yogurt starter culture. It's bifidobacteria infantis, which we now know co-evolved with humans. It's the only bacteria that is stimulated by a human milk constituents, specifically designed to stimulate that bacteria, and bifidobacteria bifidum or other species of bifidobacteria, they've co-evolved with humans. All this other stuff you see in probiotic product, you should be very leery 
And my number one thing, what I want to tell people, who is the actual formulator of that product? What is their background? Do they have any kind of a family background? What do they know about fermentation? Why did they choose this bacteria they're putting in their product? How much of that bacteria are you really getting? And who stands behind the product? This is, you know, a very important question because we're consuming living entities that are smart. Yeah. And their objective is to make their kind thrive. And they help us as a result of them helping themselves. If there's one point I need to get across to your listeners, that's why after 60 years of having health food concepts, neither Canadians or Americans have made general strides in reducing the amount of chronic illness that's found in our population. In fact, I think it's increased. Mm-hmm. So we have to ask ourselves why. It's because everybody wants to jump on a new fad without taking the hard work that you and I have done to figure out what it is that's best for their body based on their genetic background, their cultural background, and what foods do do they need to take, what exercise they need to take, and what probiotics are safe for them to consume in any amount, and who's actually formulating, fermenting, and manufacturing that product that you're consuming in large quantity. I hope that makes sense. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's move to um, some questions that we had come in as a result of our earlier discussions. This is from Deb. She said, um, I would like to know, how do you know which strains of bacteria are needed? Is there a specific test you can take or signs to look for to tell you which one she needs? So I guess she's had a stool test analysis done. And so again, we're back to what you just talked about, because what people are thinking is, oh, what the probiotic industry is, is educating people, miseducating people in right now is that the more species and strains you have in the bottle, the better it is, because do you know how many bacteria are in your gut? There's, you know, whatever the information they're giving, thousands or millions of different types of bacteria. So you need to get as many different types as you want. So um, she's now saying, well, how do you know which strains or species are needed? Is there a specific yeah. test you can take well, to tell no, you which one you first need? First of all, there's no specific test. And I can just tell you, uh, each individual has their own composition of microbiota that can that uh, constructs your microbiome that is as individual to them as their fingerprint, okay? So throwing in a bunch of organisms into that mix is not going to help you. And even doing stool analysis, it's like a hair analysis. It's taking a picture of a very dynamic ecosystem and that moment of time. It doesn't mean it's going to be like that a day later or even two hours later. That's I, an, I, I want to stop you there because that is an awesome, awesome piece of information that I have not heard from any doctor, naturopath, integrative physician. Nobody is saying that. And I think that is crucial. Yeah, it's a a dynamic ecosystem. Look, even if you don't understand the science, every day that you eat, drink, and breathe air, you're ingesting bacteria. And you've got about 100 trillion uh, microbes including bacteria, yeast, and and viruses inside your gut. And it's that ecosystem that gets affected by your emotions, by your stress level, by the kind of food that you consume, how quickly you consume it. And 40% of your dry weight fecal matter is uh, microbes. So every day you're ingesting a lot of bacteria and you're expelling a lot of bacteria. So there's this dynamic and all of them are trying to get attachment sites, and I affectionately call them parking spaces, Mm -hmm. on your intestinal wall. That's the battle. The battle is to keep the friendly, the right friendly bacteria, the ones who have evolved with us. I don't just go out and choose any bacteria and throw it into my product and say, oh, these are all probiotic bacteria, and you need this combination. Because I can tell you right now, there is no scientific evidence that the mixing of those bacteria adds any benefit. In fact, if you don't know exactly how much of each bacteria species or strain listed on that label you are getting, you have no idea what's affecting your microbiome or what's not affecting it. You see, it's, it's not like you just throw something in 
and hope that it does better. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting because I had sent uh, one of our earlier calls out to a couple of practitioners who I know do really good work, um, an MD and an ND, and they emailed back and said, I really appreciated to hear your perspectives about the soil organism, and that really resonated with us both. The lack of longevity of use in humans as a supplement, as well as another example of what we do in healthcare. If a little is good, more is better, of course. <laughs> and she said, your podcast led us into a discussion that we've been having more and more regularly these days. At the risk of sounding dramatic, we feel like we are a dying species amongst practitioners. And hearing you and Natasha was so refreshing because it's how we think. We feel like we can't relate to most of our colleagues anymore and would not personally go and see most of the natural integrative practitioners in our area. All the testing, diagnosing, treating but everyone is sicker and more scared than ever before. Mm -hmm. And I personally work very hard to not get sucked into that kind of thinking. Um, others say, and what all the other doctors are telling my clients, what they need to do to get well. The crazy part is that the chronic diagnoses, untreatable conditions these days are not coming from Western medicine, but from functional medicine doctors. So yeah. she's just That's said this, everyone part. is an internet expert with their own channel, like Natasha yeah. said, some about cultured foods, most who hardly see clients, or have only been in practice for a year or two, and we say all the time, it's like a big game of telephone. You think it must be right, because you hear it again and again, but they're all simply citing the same, the same source. Um, right. you know, it's, like, this, it's just like the telephone game, uh, garbage in, garbage out. Exactly. Exactly. She says, my clients are also so scared of food, histamine, lectins, oxalates. We think we can test our way to health. I am hating all those stool tests that tell you the risk of every disease based on the bacteria that shows and doesn't show in one single culture and agree that we are decades away from the knowledge we think we have now. I agree with you. I think what it is, it's uh, uh, overdiagnosing with what I call limited scientific tools and not really understanding how these bacteria work in your body. How many years have these people studying? You know, I've been in this field for 50 years. Mm -hmm. That's quite a lot. Yeah. I've sold uh, natural yogurt. I've sold liquid acidophilus. I've worked with major universities. I've worked with scientists in, uh, uh, you know, uh, across Europe that deal with governments and are, uh, are engaged in uh, evaluating biological warfare. So we know how this bacteria function. And, and you've done clinical trials in yes. hospitals. Yes. Right? Like you, you can't subject yourself to more rigor than you have undergone throughout the spectrum of the 50 years you've been doing this. Exactly. And, and the point is that even, even the scientific studies that are published, let me tell you, the, the, the model for the scientific studies was constructed for the pharmaceutical industry to show symptomatic relief. They're not really, uh, uh, the scientific clinical trials are not really geared to show how a natural product has an effect on the body. And this is where we have to shift the paradigm. We have to see what's really working for our patients. Mm -hmm. We have to see really what's changing the health of their patients. And I can just say, in my 50 years of history, no one that I have talked to or helped to get on a diet, uh, use the product or do the exercise has failed to get better because I keep it simple. I'm not trying to sell them a diet, not trying to sell them an exercise program. I'm not trying to sell them 20 different supplements that I have no expertise in, but, and I'm not listening to somebody who sort of pre-digests the information for me and tries to give it to me. I'm an expert in the field of probiotics, which includes microorganisms. The reason I don't change is because there's no scientific evidence for me to change because people are not going to get better if I keep keeping you new stuff. As a matter of fact, I'm still 25 to 30 years ahead of everybody else in formulation. So unless we get rid of the, ca the cacophony, we're not going to make progress. And I, my challenge is uh, to especially Canadians, uh, they have one of the highest percentages of inflammatory bowel disease of anybody in the world. Why is that? You're a westernized country, very intelligent, very well-read people who's giving you this information that it's not translating into health mm -hmm. exactly and who are you list who are you choosing to listen to right 
All right. right. In other words, and I can just tell you, and this is not a sales pitch as God is my witness. I've heard it time and again. You know, I didn't get any relief until I tried nature and probiotics. Yeah. I mean, I hear this thousands of times. And what I say, I don't want to be the only one. I want people to really tell me scientifically, experience-wise and fermentation, why they put this formula together and how is it really going to affect that 100 trillion microbes in the gut to get that person better. Exactly. Okay, next question from Robert. Do you know if the bacterium, bacterium Escherichia coli Nisal 1917 is good for the gut? It is apparently found in raw milk. No, it's not found in raw milk. Um, that Nissel bacteria is used in Germany. Uh, the Germans have a history of using this, uh, what they call so-called beneficial E. coli. And my only problem with that is that once a, uh, once a strain in that species, in E. coli, adopts a uh, production of a toxin, you know, the E. coli OH157 is the one that causes that serious infection. There is no guarantee that even if you ingest a benign version of that bacterium, that it's not going to, as let's say you're eating something and you happen to pick up an E. coli that's deadly. There's no evidence that that deadly E. coli cannot transfer those, that ability or that plasmid to teach the, what I call innocent E. coli to also produce that toxin. Right. Yes, exactly. Right. All right. Uh, his other question is, could the three types that you talked about of beneficial, well, you talked about four, could the three types of beneficial gut bacteria disappear from the gut by natural means? He's saying something other than antibiotics. And if those bacteria are missing from the gut, would they ever come back into the gut naturally through some natural or normal process? Well, that's a good question. Well, first of all, let me tell you, uh, we as a biological entity were designed to fail. Aging is a failure of the biological system to function optimally. Let's agree to that. And, uh, you know, according to Japanese and some European studies, by the time you reach 40, you've lost the, between 40 to 60% of your beneficial bacteria. Why? Because you become an undesirable environment for these bacteria. And if you want to know, since they're the smartest entities in the world, uh, they don't live anywhere where it doesn't benefit them. So they vacate your body and you become more vulnerable to the disease-causing bacteria. And since I've studied cultures where people were very healthy, I found that the people were very healthy in those cultures because A, they didn't have a lot of uh, exposure to big pharma drugs. B, uh, they ate locally grown food that they knew how to prepare, and they didn't eat it raw, by the way. They usually cooked the food, whether they were in the Hansa or in uh, Bulgaria. Uh, and, and they had daily uh, servings of yogurt, and it wasn't sugared or refined. So that was great, you know, 100 years ago. Unfortunately, what's happened to the world in the last 100 years, we have dozens of pathogenic bacteria that are now in the community that were never in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, you know, if you want to stay healthy, you would stay out of a hospital. Hospital yes. is one of the deadliest places where you can get infected with these bacteria. So to answer this young man's question, no, the bacteria don't stay with you. That's why you age. One of the first things that Dr. Mechnikov showed in his book uh, about longevity is that you need to supplement these beneficial bacteria on a daily basis because you become less of a good host for these bacteria, and it's the accumulation of the toxins that accelerates the aging process. And I'm just keep keeping it short. Yeah. So you have to not only supplement the right bacteria, you have to do it on a daily basis, preferably twice. Depends on your lifestyle and what you eat, you know, and how well you eat it. Uh, because you, the bacteria, as I said, leave your body to the tune of about 40% of your dry weight fecal matter being composed of these microbes. So they're leaving your body. And as you age, they be, you become a less desirable environment for them to live and they leave you. So that's why you have to, that's one thing that is uh, scientifically substantiated, bar none, is that these bacteria have to be ingested daily to maintain optimal health. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, here's another question from Erica. 
I'm curious how significant the temperature of the water is with your powdered probiotic supplements. If you need to include most beverages in the wait time for taking the probiotics, I have no idea what that means. Uh, and lastly, some recommendations for traveling with them when you are trying to take them three times a day. Perhaps you can make your own capsules with the powder. So that's a lot of questions there. So yeah. do you want to start with the temperature of the water? Well, yeah, you know, the reason I tell you not to drink cold water is because the bacteria wake up uh, at body temperature water. So if you want them to wake up and start working for you better, you drink it with, uh, you know, unchilled water. It's as simple as that. You know, people drink chilled water because they have a perception that it makes them feel cooler. It's not true. Actually, you know, it's not good for your stomach. If you've ever studied Chinese medicine, Chinese medicine never tells you to drink cold beverages. In fact, it tells you to drink warm or hot beverages. That's part of the Chinese health process. And they're very big into preventive medicine and keeping yourself healthy so that's why i recommend it is it better for you to take the product than not to take it if you're going to take it in a in a cold water yeah it's better for you to take it than not to take it so when she's talking about beverages i don't know what she's referring to but i definitely wouldn't put my my culture into a soft <laughs> soft drink <laughs> not a best way to take it uh you can put it into almond milk you can put it into regular uh dairy milk uh, you can put it into beverages that are not acidic, uh, like, you know, uh, apple juice. But I would prefer that you keep it in water because even though uh, the apple juice is organic or any other drink is organic, it's got its own load of microbes. Most people don't realize that. That organic means it doesn't have pesticide, but it usually means it has a larger bacterial load. And that's the hardest thing for people to understand. Uh, and then, therefore, you, you need more bacteria in your gut to protect you with the microbial load that you're getting with organic food, especially if you don't know how to wash it or take care of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, very good. Uh, so this next question is similar from Karen. Is it okay to put the probiotics into yogurt? Um, and this you already answered. Can there be any adverse effects with prolonged consumption? Um, it's, we've already talked about that. So, um, well, not with, safe, not with safe probiotic bacteria. There can be no adverse function because, like I said, this has been around for hundreds of years. The bacteria I use have co-evolved with humans. Uh, there's no adverse effects. And yes, if you want to put your uh, probiotic, open up the probiotic uh, capsule that has the powdered probiotic or the probiotic powder and mix it into plain yogurt right before you eat it, it's fine. But you can't mix it in and then put it back in the refrigerator. Yeah, that you know destroy the uh, efficacy of the product. And they're saying so in the powdered versions that you're selling, uh -huh. she's asking, can you take that powder and put it into capsules? I don't yes. know why you you can. Okay, you can, you can. All right. Uh, next question. Many people find dairy pro-inflammatory. Should people trying to manage inflammation avoid your dairy-based probiotics? Well, I don't know why they have it, uh, why the, the dairy causes inflammation because in itself, these beneficial bacteria uh, don't incite inflammation. So I think it's an individual thing. You have to decide. I choose the dairy for the bacteria because that's what they love to grow in the most. And if you give them what they love to grow in the most, they're going to produce the most beneficial fermentation end products or the most beneficial byproducts. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you, you try a little bit. Uh, the, the dairy really is there enough to satisfy the bacteria needs. It's really not meant as food for you. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that makes sense to people, but that yeah. what I choose for the bacteria is not really your food, it's their food. Yeah. <laughs> um, can taking powdered probiotics exacerbate SIBO? No, it's, uh, but it depends which powder probiotics. I can only talk about ours. And for those who are uninitiated, SIBO means small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And by the way, has become a big problem. Yes. Uh, no, actually taking the powdered probiotic helps SIBO because SIBO is usually up in the, uh, in the upper part of the small intestine. And taking the powder, it'll probably be most conducive to helping you with that condition because it'll you know, come through the stomach and operate right there in the upper small intestine. 
So here's the next question that goes right along with that. Are your probiotic capsules coated to deliver live organisms to the appropriate locations? I love this question. I know, right? <laughs> uh, well, you know, first of all, the coating that you put on the capsule is designed to withstand some stomach acid, but it doesn't mean that that coating can be taken out anywhere else in the body. In other words, you have to have the precise pH all the way down the intestinal tract in order for that coating to come off. And most of the time that I have seen, I should say all the time that I have seen, there is no third-party independent study to show how effective that coating is to protect the capsule in the stomach, especially at a very low pH. And what other uh, pH in the intestinal tract helps to take off that coating? Uh, it's usually pharmaceutical industries that are trying to deliver an active drug that have it, you know, monitored so that it breaks up a part in a certain part of the intestine. I have heard many times that people who consume these coated products, uh, the, they pass right through their intestinal tract, never dissolving any place in the intestine. So again, it's the technology. It's not the matter of coating, but who's doing the coating and what do they know about where the capsule needs to dissolve in your GI tract and whether you're going to be able to get any function from the bacteria that are in the so-called coated capsule. Very good. I like that. Um, so here's another question about SIBO. Uh, she's saying which ones to use and which to avoid and why? Other strains? Uh, yes. Well, first of all, I would take, uh, you know, our uh, bacteria in the healthy start system and I would uh, take the uh, acidophilus and the bulgaricus uh, before every meal. And I would take the bifidofactor right before bedtime. Mm. And uh, I would take as many as I need because remember, when people talk about SIBO, no one, including modern medicine, knows exactly how prolific whatever bacterial infection you have is. We just diagnose it. Oh, you're showing the symptoms of SIBO, so therefore you have SIBO. But nobody knows how prolific it, it is in your small intestine or how much time you need to get rid of it. Mm. And many times when they do give you antibiotics, if they perceive it's so severe, you should take them. And you should take the products two hours after the antibiotics and make sure that after you finish your course of antibiotics, that you take double or triple the dose to make sure that whatever damage the antibiotics did, that you're rectifying that by making sure that you get the proper bacteria in the position in the small and large intestine. Yeah, and I've even done it uh, during antibiotic usage, two hours away, taking wow. a mega dose of probiotics because then you can kind of prevent the damage as you go along. And then, like you said, when the course of antibiotics is finished, then you go super high dosage on the probiotics to right. help the body recover. Right. Um, and so for, that, for the SIBO, for the Healthy Start, do you recommend, is there a difference if they take it in the powdered form or the capsules? Well, you know, the, the, the healthy start is either powdered capsule or powdered. If they want to get the powder effect and they only buy the capsules, they can always open up the powdered capsule and make it into a, a drink. There's yes. no problem. The only ones I tell people not to open is the healthy trinity because that's a specific capsule with a special sealant. And uh, by the way, um, we're one of the few probiotic companies that recommend what I call strategic layering. Uh, you can take our products in any amount in order to uh, achieve the desired effect. When I give an amount, it's just a starting point. And that's the beauty of our product, that you're not going to have a toxic dose at any level. Because I don't fool around with bacteria, what I call that are designer bacteria, and that may cause harm. And also, you can, you can take you know, the, the extra bifido at night along with a healthy trinity capsule. you got to find the regimen with the nature probiotic that works for your particular condition. Because remember, Western medicine identifies something that is a disease. But anytime you involve a bacteria, you don't know how much of that bacteria that person has to overcome and what's manifesting that we now identify as that disease. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. And just to refresh people, because we did talk about this earlier, for the Nature and Probiotic line, the powders contain a lot of the culturing medium or the supernatant. Mm -hmm. The capsules contain much less of that, but they both contain the same amounts of, of bacteria. Right. So, oh, no, the, the powdered capsule actually have as much the supernatant as the powder. The only one that has less supernatant is the healthy trinity because that's taken up by the oil that micro enrobes to protect the bacteria. But I can just tell you that I don't know of any other company in the world that is keeping the original intrinsic supernatant along with the bacteria when they freeze dry it. And that yes. makes the product super you know, effective because now you put it in its own environment and you're actually freeze drying it in that capsule so that when it reaches your intestinal tract, it's in a familiar playground and it has its food and it's also providing that food for you to help yes. you, you know, uh, uh, get healthier. Right, right, right. Good point. Okay. Um, uh, it's interesting. This person asked the question you just answered. She said, I'd love to know more about the, the strategies to getting the most from each probiotic pill. When you say mix and match the healthy start pills, how do I keep track and know what to do? But you just answered that with strategic layering and, you know, really listening to your body. Um, she's just saying, I've been mindful not to eat garlic when I take my probiotics. How long a period should I keep food garlic away from probiotics? Not garlic supplements, but just having garlic with her food. I, I would say still two hours because depending on the Allison amount in the fresh garlic, we all don't know. I would just say for safety, I would keep it two hours after just like you would any other herb or any other antimicrobial. Okay. Um, question, another question. I would like to ask why a probiotic retention enema recommended in Jeannie's book could create a flare of Crohn's with significant pain, diarrhea, and gas. I don't think anything in the product could ever uh, create Crohn's. Uh, <laughs> she's, you know, yeah, she's equating diarrhea and gas. Well, gas is going to cause you pain. So she's equating diarrhea and gas with a Crohn's flare, but the two are not necessarily related. Yeah, no, the, the, the retention enema is only to strategically uh, get stuff in the large intestine uh, that you can't effectively reach by mouth. That's the only reason. Yeah. And a lot of people have inflammation right there on their lower part of their rectum. That's where we get our hemorrhoids, that we get a lot of inflammatory. It's really to calm down that inflammation that's closer in your rectum and get the product into the transverse colon, which is sometimes difficult to reach, especially if your health is compromised. Yeah. So there's no way that a retention enema can cause the disease because there's nothing in the retention enema that can cause the disease. Yeah, but it can cause a Herxheimer reaction, a die-off. Yes. Well, the, you know, the, the gas is usually formed because you have product in there that's not digested and that the bacteria are attacking for themselves. You know, uh, gas is a normal part of the function of digestion. And uh, we pass it many times a day without knowing it. It's only when you have undigested particles of food that are there in significant numbers that allow these bacteria then to use this food for their own good. And they'll produce much more gas that's going to be harmful to you because now it's either going to smell bad or it's going to cause bloat. Right. That's a really good point. I've never thought of that before. That Because if you have malabsorption and your digestive capabilities are not up to the norm, you're going to have a lot of undigested food in your bowel. And exactly. then you do the probiotic retention enema, the bacteria are going to eat that food and then create a lot of, you know, digestive byproducts like gas. But yeah. Again, so this is again where you listen to your body and you might start with a quarter dose of the probiotic retention enema or a half dose because right. you say, I don't want it. And then other people, go hard or go home people are like, no way, man, I'm putting in the hole. I don't care how much gas and I don't care how much diarrhea, just clear it out, right? So it's again, you have to balance that with what feels good to your body, what causes you stress versus what makes you feel safe, you know? Right, right, right. And that we're all different and we all have a different level of, problem in our GI tract. So we have to use uh, common sense, which most of us don't have. So if that's too much for you and you can't take the, what I call the cleansing process, yeah. uh, pare it down. Uh, do it more often with a smaller amount of dosing. Yeah. And, and I get this a lot. Like people do not understand 
the body's purpose behind diarrhea and vomiting. Uh-huh. And it's like your body has two main ways of clearing pathogens quickly, right? And that's why yeah. when you get food poisoning, the body's like, get this stuff, get it out fast. Well, it's not just the pathogens. Remember, they're also producing toxic byproducts. And yes. the body, all of a sudden, it's an alarm. It's like a fire. And yeah. it'll draw water from the cellular structure of the body and starts flushing out the toxin. Whether it's forcing you to vomit it or come out the other end, that's the reason you have this. And most people are never taught this. Yeah. That your body is now trying to expel something that could really harm it. Yes, exactly. And that's why, you know, drugs like Imodium that suppress diarrhea, just, you know, fine if you need to use it once or whatever, because, you know, extenuating circumstances, but as a, as a management protocol, very bad. Like you have to ask yourself, what is my body trying to flush? What is happening here that my body has to get rid of? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually Imodium was, uh, you know, done by the pharma industry because sometimes you uh, could, you know, um, possibly die because your body's expelling so much water and electrolytes it's not able to replenish. So in that case, yes, you do need the drug to stop it because you know that's that's where the use of the drug means that you know the harm that it does is less dangerous yeah. than not using it. Yes. And that's again where people in Western society don't understand that. Yeah, exactly. Very good point. Okay. So here's another question right on the same topic from Tiffany. I would love information on anything that can help major diarrhea. Learning about probiotics in this capacity is brand new to me. Yeah, well, you know, there's, uh, as I said, the diarrhea is trying to get something. Now, I don't know where this person traveled. She may even have a parasite, which is much more difficult to deal with. As you know, that parasites are 500 times larger than bacteria. And, you know, you may, if, if, uh, the regimen I'm going to suggest doesn't help you. You may have to go see a tropical disease expert or someone that's, you know, an expert in infectious medicine. Mm. So uh, what I recommend is you start with uh, a healthy trinity three times a day and double up and let's see how your, your stool progresses, but you should never let it um, uh, progress without paying attention to it because, you know, it's dangerous. You know, you have to first find out why you have diarrhea. Yeah. But one thing I can tell you is that taking the healthy trinity or any probiotic from nature is not going to harm you. It's just that make sure that you're getting medical attention so that you don't do more harm to yourself by not seeking medical help. Yes, exactly. And, you know, for my protocols, what we do is we do a two-pronged approach. So we do... Um, a wild oregano oil protocol to kill off pathogens, yeast, bacteria, viruses, even some parasites are killed by wild oregano. And then we do that five times a day. And then at night, we do the high dose nature and probiotics. But what we do with people with diarrhea, we say, if you're having more than three bowel movements a day, don't take any capsules because, again, they can move into very rapid transit time from mouth to expelling. So we say right. take the powders and, right. and take, you know, if you can handle a double, triple dose, go ahead and do that, but at least take a, take a full teaspoon yeah. of each. I of even them. tell people, you know, keep mixing the powdered probiotics in a glass of six ounces water and put a straw. Keep yeah. sipping all day long. That's yes. another way to get it in very slowly and make sure that you're getting it in the right amount. That's what I've done for my kids whenever they've had a vomiting flu. I make mm-hmm. them up a big glass powdered with a straw and I say, take a sip every five minutes. Because yeah. if you're vomiting violently, you can't drink a whole bunch, but you can do And I have given them a little clock with the timer and we're like every five minutes, one sip of the probiotic mixture. And Perfect. that gets them clear and healthy faster than they have friends who are out for three weeks. My kids are down for a day or two. Yep, that's the difference. And plus, the unpleasantness of having to vomit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're really... We were once in Mexico, my daughter got something so bad at both ends. So she was lying on the bathroom floor. She just oh didn't move. She was on the tile, and we made her a little bed there. And I had my natron with me in the bar fridge. So I just made it up for her, and I was like, okay. You know, and she's like, oh, but she did it. And it was 24 hours, and she was clear. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna tell you when you travel, you can, you know, your holiday can be ruined if you if you don't know what to do. 
what do you do when you travel with your probiotics? How do you? Oh, uh, very easy. I treat it like a pet. <laughs> I don't leave it anywhere and in, in exposed to heat. If I'm going to a tropical climate and I know that my uh, check-in luggage is going to sit in some unprotected area directly in the sun, I just pack it with me. I put it either in a little freezer bag or a little, you know, aluminum, you know, uh, pill box that I have. And I, sometimes I wrap it in foil. The whole thing is that you don't want it to be exposed to abrupt changes in temperature or exposure to direct, you know, heat. And on the plane, you know, you can put it by your feet. You can put it up in your uh, uh, overhead. Just make sure that it's not exposed to direct heat and direct sunlight. Yeah. And for me, you know, those, um, you can get those thermos, thermos lunch bags. They're like yes. cooler bags. I put an ice pack on the bottom and an ice pack on the top. Yeah. And I have, I go to Mexico every year. It's hot. That's hot on the plane. I get them to my hotel room by the time we, and we, there's a two hour bus journey from the airport to the hotel. And by the time I unpack them in my hotel, the ice packs are melted, but the probiotics are still cool. That's fine. And then, I put them into the bar fridge, and when I've been traveling and there's no bar fridge, I get uh, a bucket of ice, and mm -hmm. I just keep putting them in, I just keep refilling that bucket of ice in a cooler bag. Right, or I tell people even put it by the air conditioning. Yes. Yeah. Fine, too. Have mm -hmm. the air conditioning blow right on it, not the pills, the bottles. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Natasha, for yet another incredible, like you said, vertical deep dive information uh, session. Right. And, and I, just, I just want to leave people with this thought. Mm. You know, consuming uh, any kind of fermented food that's not in your culture is a danger because you don't know anything about the organisms you're fermenting with. You have to know who is the company you're getting your starter cultures from? Uh, what are their safety protocols and how pure is your culture? And then second of all, do you know enough uh, to culture in your kitchen without contaminating whatever you're trying to culture? Yes. Uh, you know, and, and the thing is you can do a lot more harm than good because ignorance in this situation is not bliss. Yeah. And Very I would encourage people not to do it unless they've had it in their family and somebody in the family has explicit, uh, you know, how shall I say, guidance or knows how to ferment this food. Try If you've never grown up with it and all of a sudden you want to do it, I would advise strongly against it because it's just too much of a danger. Right. I hear you. Okay. And for anybody who wants more information on that Saccharomyces boulardii study, I've got a blog post on that. And the interesting thing, Natasha, at the end, they had at the end of that study when they you know, we're like, actually, there's no, there's no genetic difference between this and Cerevisiae. Um, they said, and the one that they identified in the supplements was what they called a moderately virulent strain. Yeah. So they advised against immunocompromised people ingesting it at all. So that is going to be, that is on my blog, uh, the full study and also a little bit more information on it. Well, thank you for getting that out. You know, I'm always yeah. worried about saying stuff because, you know, uh, we, we don't have a habit in this industry of really doing a deep dive. You are one person that I appreciate that does their research and knows what they're looking for. And so, therefore, people get information. Uh, a lot of these people who give out information never do a deep dive. They just read something that somebody handed them, and they just repeat it. Yeah. And this, there's a big danger in doing that. Yeah, and then you go on the internet and you're like, oh, look, everyone's saying the same thing, this and this and this and this. We had the same thing happen with uh, bentonite clay about uh -huh. 15 years ago. And everyone was making all these claims about bentonite clay. And I'm like, but where's the – and they all were quoting the same two or three source studies. I tried to find those source studies. They were completely misquoted. Uh -huh. They were about using bentonite to sterilize water supplies in Africa. And so they were taken completely out of context. There was actually no basis, but I'm not kidding you. There must have been a million and a half citations on the internet from everyone, from doctors to health coaches to, to bloggers about what bentonite clay does. Completely wrong, basically. I agree with you. And this is the biggest danger we have in our industry is that, you know, the uh, famous French philosopher said the most dangerous person is the one 
who's somewhat educated. Yeah, exactly. that's what we have. I mean, it's like uh, the person who uh, told me that their soil organism was safe and that they were going to send me a safety study. And I almost fell over because the safety study was this bacteria was used in banana grows. And, you know, uh, the, the bananas, which have a very thick skin, were found not to be contaminated with this bacteria that was used in the soil. And I said, oh how my can gosh. you equate this to a safety study? That's utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if you can't, if you yourself don't have the expertise to, so first of all, number one, go to the original clinical trial, research paper, whatever the original source is, and actually look at it. Was it industry funded or was it independent? You know, who were the scientists who conducted it? Where are they coming from? Did they already have a bias? And then look at what the study actually says, like read the whole paper. And if you don't have the skill to do that, then make sure you're going to someone who does. You know, is there a scientist in your family? Ask them or take it into your doctor. Have them scan it for you. Give an opinion. Like stop just re-parroting stuff that all of these so-called experts say on the internet because yeah, if yeah. And just as we're experts, they would provide the real information yeah. to you. And also caution, just because it's published doesn't mean that it's true. True. Yeah. You know, so the gold standard is listen to your gut. Right. Your body will tell you, yes, this is good. Yes, I like it. This is not working for us. You know. I, I agree so much. And if that's one message we can get out to people is that people need to engage in some kind, form of critical thinking and not just adopt from somebody because they heard, oh, it tastes good. It's sexy. And, you know, it promised you it can cure everything, in, including, you know, uh, ingrown toenails. <laughs> uh, you know, th this is, I think, what our industry gets criticized for. And we should all really take a deeper dive and look into what we're recommending and why. Exactly. Thank you so much, Natasha. Thank you. Awesome. Have a awesome. wonderful day and hopefully we can help more people. You bet. <laughs>